You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is with The Kickback. With an album title like Weddings and Funerals, you know exactly what you're getting into. I mean, come on, you can't hear those words and, <laughs> together and not make any assumptions. And you'd be right. This is an album about the breakdown of a marriage, but it's also deeply so much more than that. Frontman Billy Yost wrote songs out of his personal tragedy, and it came out the other side with these punchy songs that don't sacrifice fun for heart. You wouldn't expect a record like this to be as fun as it is, and yet it is that. So much fucking fun. And the kickback are just a damn fun band of beer on. You know, this is definitely one of those instances where an intro can't do the talk any justice, and we really should just jump right into it. So without further ado, this is the 405 Exchange with the Kickback. Enjoy. So it's pretty meta having you guys on because I was talking to Billy about this a little bit earlier, but you guys have your own podcast, is that right? Yeah. How did this happen? Like, how did this come together? Uh, my brother Danny started sending me episodes of Mark Maron's podcast. That was one of my, that's kind of what inspired this. It's one of my favorite yeah. podcasts also. Yeah, that's... Uh, my brother got in way earlier than... I think, like, we... We put our podcast out, I think, right when they started, everybody started making one, so we've had one since 2010, Oh wow! which is a real long time, and we only have like 150 episodes, so it's not the most like <laughs> regular thing ever, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it keeps us in the game, and it's just like, um, I'm hoping to listen back to it when I'm like 75, and like my grandkids hate me, and I'm just sitting on the porch enjoying like a um, nice mocha and I'm, I want to reflect back on all of the poor choices that led me to this point <laughs> and I have like audio proof uh, just of every wrong move along the way well I read a quote that you said Billy that that really like I, that struck me really well and you said that the podcast it's meant to be a window of a band that can't afford making music 24-7 yeah I wonder though is there a sense of like liberation in being able to show people a different side of what it is to actually be in a band where everyone has these different preconceptions all you guys can chime in on this like yeah. is it good showing that like real side to it I don't know from like a from like a whatever branding standpoint no, or whatever. Brand. I don't more know. like how's it feel I like that part of it. I like. I think a lot of us have conversations with family members where they're like, "Oh, are you guys in? You guys are going on tour. You're in a tour bus, right? And you're flying to, or you're flying to all your gigs, or you're having a tour bus pick you up. Uh, maybe you'll be helicoptered to the tour bus from the airplane directly. Tours a tour. Yeah. So when it's four of us in a hotel room and you know. It's, trying to check in with a lady who's obviously uh, addicted to opiates and didn't plan on anybody checking in after 2 p.m. in Michigan, not to get specific, <laughs> but to be a little specific. Yeah, it, it makes for, you know, just like a good, it's kind of a, rem a way to show people how ridiculous this all is, but it's also a reminder why you do it. Yeah, I've had some experiences touring with bands before and 
like I'm seeing someone now, a new person, and uh, what's been really interesting about seeing her, she doesn't work within the industry. You're seeing as in uh, you're dating, as a dating. You dating a musician? No, no, not. Well, that's the thing. She's a dog musician. Okay. But what's interesting about that is that well, actually, she is a musician. She's actually interesting, but she doesn't work in music. Okay. She's a musician who doesn't work in music. Yeah. But essentially, the reason I bring her up is that what's been really interesting about dating her is there's so many things about what we do that is relatively ridiculous to like anyone who lives a normal life. Yeah. It's been really interesting kind of having her point out things that are ridiculous. Like, oh, like that went on today or that? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how it goes. You spent your whole day stressing about this like photo shoot where you guys are going to wear presidential masks and uh, like there's going to be fake blood everywhere. You that's not very specific. Are you, talking about you, see, you seem really stressed out about it. Like, you know there are, there are people who didn't eat today, right? Like, you dipshit. <laughs> but no, that's the... I mean, it's probably reason I can't hold like a stable relationship together. But there are... There are normalities to our end of things, yeah. just as much as there are to hers. Yeah. Ours are just a little more, like there's a lot more wiggle room and they also seem way dumber. Yes. So like the general consensus of the world is seems like way dumber. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. I mean, and to me too, usually if I step back, that's part of why I like the podcast. Is you can listen back and be like, man, you were, you were real worried about that. That like uh, gig in Birmingham that nobody came to, <laughs> and you were really upset about your tuning that show. Like you were very upset. So maybe try and keep things in perspective a little bit. You know what I love so much about the talk so far is that most of the stuff you've been saying, it's been really funny watching the band looking at you going like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. tell me this: you guys released the record uh, Weddings and Funerals back in July. It's October now. What has it been like, kind of having that time in between? Like, does any of it feel reflective when you look back on the record now, or does it feel like you're still like really in the thick of it? I think that the, this is just going off on a little tangent, but the fact that we put out a record named Weddings and Funerals this year, and I mean, I can just say offhand from my experience, I've, there's been so many weddings and funerals this year, particularly. So that, that I've been dealing with that a lot this year, and it's kind of, kind of ironic. That is quite ironic. Yeah. Sorry about the funerals, and also sorry about the weddings, also. Oh, no, <laughs> sorry about what half the funerals? It's half the wedding? I mean, yeah. What do you think about weddings? Are really just a, wedding is a synonym for funerals anyway, in a lot of ways, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> we should uh, send this to the girl you're dating. <laughs> you totally should. <laughs> Because you guys played a show last night, and imagine a lot of the setlist had songs from the most recent album. Yeah. What's it like playing the songs now? Like, what's it feel like? It's the first time we've ever had to learn. We recorded the record and then had to learn how to play them live, and that's the first thing. You know, your first record is everything you've ever made in your whole life together, and you've played them in front of a hundred, like, played those songs hundreds of times a lot of the time in sort of the traditional band model. And then your second record is we made it we made it in the studio and then had to figure out how to play any of it live, which was a really interesting learning curve. And now we've got it dialed in, so now I think we're done touring for a while. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, you won't get the chance to watch the kickback perform <laughs> game over. It's done. Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, one of the things I 
of struck me with the album was that, um, I mean, a lot of people wrote about this with the album, but I feel it's very true. It's a very, like, immediate album. It's very fast. But I think what people miss about it when they talk about it in that way is that it feels like no moment was wasted in that regard. Like, it feels like any idea you had did go into it and, like, to all the songs. Did it feel that way for you guys when you were making it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an accurate representation. The whole thing is meant to... It's about a, It's about my divorce, and the whole thing is meant to be kind of a... Like, when I was thinking of how I want it to be, I just wanted this, like, face coming out of your speaker, you know, just, like, kind of pointing a finger. So the whole thing, it's sort of overwhelming, and there's not, like, a lot of space between even, like, the, the songs. There's, like, no gap a lot of the time, so it's just, like, boom, boom. Because I just wanted it to be sort of relentless, if that makes sense. But um, I think we're really good at, excuse me, we'll take uh, 10 seconds of a song and beat it to the fucking ground to get make sure every beat and every up, like, upstroke and everything is right in that regard. We're pretty... Um, try and always counterbalance like some real sloppy ugly just go with uh, some real intricate tight these guys are tight as fuck and they have to keep me reeled in like this is a tight tight band um, and so it's always sort of weighing and like I said sort of counterbalancing the sort of intricately woven structures with the kind of chaos that like an album about divorce is gonna elicit. Yeah, well I'd love to jump into that because I feel like that's very much at the core of what the kickback is. I love that you said that sloppiness with the intricateness because when I heard the first record and I heard this one, I feel like that was an element of the band that very much carried on. Like, do you feel like that's an element of your band that you like? Like, I think it works really well. Yeah, I... Constantly disappointed by bands whose records I like that I go see play live. Really? Yeah, it's a drag. Everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. Capital E. Yeah. It could be a vibe thing, or that can. I just. There are very few things in this world that are certain, but you know when a band is fucking only live, and the other bands know it on the set, and the other, like, it's the best feeling ever to go in and just be like, okay, we're gonna destroy you now, and you don't have a choice, <laughs> so please accept this, because it's not gonna get incredible. <laughs> please accept this. And so... And sometimes it doesn't happen, and sometimes we get shown up by really, like, good bands. But these guys, every person sitting here is way better at their instrument than I am. And I am, that's so awesome. The Dan's better at, like, Dan plays bass, but he's a better guitar player than I'll ever be in my life. And just, like, everybody here is so much better at their stuff. And they just kind of slum down to my level. And it's fucking rad. This is the best band in the world, because no one is, like, talking to a, like, fucking object to what you're saying. They're all kind of sat there like, yeah, we are. It's, like, an interesting challenge for, like, coming at it from, I think, like, Harvard. Like, Jared, who's, like, a, went to school to play drums, you know? It's like there's something different and kind of, like meditative almost about like fig not figuring out like how many notes you can fit into a space but more like how you can play like the exact same note 80 
times and not have it sound any different like that entire 80 times. Yeah, there's some kind of like structure to go with that. And I think that's like the, the fun part that we kind of get into in shows is making sure that we just get everything exactly the same every time. And I, that probably works 4% of the time. <laughs> but when it hits, it's fun. It, oh yeah. I was just gonna say it's it's been cool for me too because I I joined up after the record was recorded and before it was released. But uh, Billy sent me the record and I learned all the songs like note for note how the the drums are on the album. And then we came in and you know some of it just doesn't translate live. So we've had to completely. songs I've played, so that's, that's been really cool for me, um, kind of yeah. being able to sort of write with you guys and rethink these drum parts. Yeah. You know what really intrigued me with weddings and funerals, and Billy, you touched on this a little bit, is that like, essentially it's a record about divorce and a breakup record, but I do think there's a lot more going on there. I feel like there's a lot more, within the lyrics particularly, there's a lot more elements of like introspection of oneself, more than this within the context of a relationship. And I wonder what you were considering about writing these lyrics and then, you know, presenting to the band. I really want to touch on that too as well. Like, when it came to writing these lyrics, do you feel it was important that this wasn't just going to be all about the divorce, like it had to be about a bit more and about more of like yourself as a person on this record. Um, was the first part of that? <laughs> the first part of just like the record being more than just your divorce essentially. Yeah. Like about being also about yourself and things that you've gone yeah. through personally. Well, like when I, when I enjoy 808s and Heartbreak by, by Yeezy, it's like, a great record. Yeah, but on that record, like, Honey blames a lot of it on not himself in that record. Like, that, there were a lot of other people causing him problems in that record. <laughs> and I, I didn't think I had, as horrible as it was and as awful as it was, it's my, like, it's my fault. Yeah, like, I was in a thing and I, it was just like the musician's life of being gone all the time and making choices for the band first before everything. That's something everybody here understands. And I, I, I think people who, who are really committed to something understand. It's just, it's a, it can murder a beautiful thing if you let it. And so I just wanted the records to, for one, not, not try and be really all that accusatory. Like, it, you don't want to like Robin Thicke. Yeah, yeah man, like I, I'm, I grew up really Catholic, so I put that shit on myself before I'm gonna put it on anybody else. Most of the time, unless there's a really good scapegoat. But like, <laughs> who wants to listen to? I mean, a who wants to listen to a whole record about divorce? That's a tough prospect. But B, who wants to listen to a record about a guy who won't like, take responsibility for any of it? So I just wanted the, the thing to be about uh, just trying to deal with it. The whole thing's about trying to come to terms with it and it not working very well. Did it surprise you that the song, like something I always find myself fascinated by with albums I listen to, especially albums that can be about deep subject matter, is I always find myself wondering if the musician at the time of making the album knew they were going to be writing about these things. Like, did, did it surprise you that the record ended up being about this? 
50k range or anything like that. We just try to kind of try to get vibe and performance down more than anything, just to kind of complement the subject matter and also just like make sure that the production kind of matched their performance. If that makes sense. Was the subject matter ever discussed? Though I mean, were there ever I mean, conversations about? Like sometimes Johnny would pick me up on the way to practice and on the way back after running songs would be like, do you, do you think Billy's okay? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very nice dubious look for Billy. Billy was like, what is he about to say now? Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> well, guess we, we, we were on tour or something and um, we were playing, you know, Billy's best friend's wedding and I'm not going to get into details, but oh, no, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I found out I was getting divorced at my best friend's wedding. His best friend's wedding, so... That we were playing. That we were playing. And we're in a different hotel room, and he's in the hotel room with his ex. And we're just waiting, like, what's taking so long? And then finally, everybody gets in the car, and we stop at the Walgreens, and we're all just like, what's going on? You know, at the end of the day, let's fund this wedding. I need to get by Dean. And Billy goes up to do his bachelor speech, and he starts, you know, breaking down. And, you know, we're like, oh, man, you know, like, you know, it's, it's his best friend, you know. Didn't really think too much of it. And then cut to, like, a day later, we're at Taco Bell, midday, sit down, and then randomly just goes, so I just got asked for a divorce. And, yeah, it was just weird. We just, we felt so bad for him, and it just kind of, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. Then it made sense why everything happened the way it happened the day before. So just cutting forward to the future, just hearing the demos, even though the songs were about the divorce in general or like the process he went through, I think we all related, or at least I related to that. You know, I've been in a lot of breakups. I've made so terrible mistakes. So I kind of I, and Johnny also got married this yeah. year, which is a whole different side of that yeah. thing. Yeah, which is which is like making this work, <laughs> making this life work, which is ratty shit. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. You know, it's like there's there's been so many ups and downs, but that's I think what still attracted us to the to the lyrics and the music because everybody can feel that way. Everybody's felt that way. It's a very human thing. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I, I don't know if this might nosedive the whole talk. I hope it doesn't. I don't think it will, but are you guys... Do you, uh, do you think 9-11 really happened? No. <laughs> okay, now that would definitely do it. But are, is everyone here fans of, like, Louis C.K.? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, I'm having a time right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, there's a bit that he did in one of his specials. I don't remember which one, but it was about his divorce. I remember it's one of my... It's probably quite literally my most favorite thing in regards to divorce I've ever heard in my life. Is I it, mean, my, is it the uh, never tell somebody you're sorry that they yeah, got divorced? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to recreate the bit, but I'm pretty sure everyone listening here. Actually, there's people listening. For people not, who are unfamiliar, who are listening unfamiliar, he starts to tell him, like, I had a divorce, and the audience goes, like, oh, he's like, don't, don't offer me. Yeah. There's literally nothing sad about divorce. Everything is great. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. uh, no one ends a happy marriage. No one, yeah. No one ends a happy marriage. <laughs> There's some truth for that. I mean, I, I don't. Um, usually, with talks, I don't like to put too much of myself in it because it's more about you guys. Yeah. But my family, I would just say, I have parents who definitely should have gotten divorced and never did. So, oh, really? Yeah. And it honestly, like, are they still I, together? They're still together. They really shouldn't be. But are they gonna listen to this? No, they definitely won't. <laughs> Thank fuck for that, right? I'd say knock on wood, but no wood around. But anyway, I would say this much: like, I think I have a very interesting view on divorce in the sense that I grew up in a household where it's kind of always looming in the background. I never came. 
And a lot of people find themselves staying in a marriage thinking like, you know, we're staying for our kids, a divorce would be a tumultuous thing. But honestly, growing up, I really did find myself going like, wow, you like, like being a kid and recognizing, because you know, you go to your friend's house and you see like what a loving relationship looks like, and then you go back home and you're like, wow, geez, divorce would be spectacular here. (laughs) (laughs) Divorce would be like the greatest thing to happen to these two people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I came from a family of six boys, so like my parents are pretty spent. I'm the last one. Jesus Christ. And like I said, we grew up Catholic and... I did too, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm not anymore, so that says yeah, anything about well, that. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, so yeah, it's a very similar thing. Um, my parents all wound up getting divorced when they were like 60 years old, you know, Jesus. which felt a whole different... Like, people are just living longer now, and I think a lot of people are realizing late in their life, like, I'm not sure how much time I have left, and I'm not sure I can stand to be around this person for whatever time that may be. You just gave me hope. My parents are just at the door at 60, so hopefully that's fine. They're (laughs) serious. I mean, that's a joke I remember making a couple times. was, hey, this song's about divorce. Uh, Anybody married here? Like, yeah, and I was like, don't worry. I mean, it could definitely still happen. <laughs> and then you just kind of hear the screeching wheels of uh, the momentum of the show. But it's, I, I grew up really, like I was a 13-year-old kid who was worried about getting divorced someday. I, I was, I grew really into girls, I, I was just like girl crazy, and yet was worried about all of my future failed relationships. I was like that when I was like 17, 16. Really? I really was. It was more like, I think because I had that with my parents at the yeah. time, and uh, I started like dating like around 15, 16, yeah. and it was the type of thing where I would get with a girl, I'd get like really enthralled and excited in the moment, and I'd be like, well, whoa, what if we get divorced? Meanwhile, yeah. it's like a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like... Maybe a second date would be cool. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people listening can relate though. I think these are things that people just don't allow themselves to talk about. Yeah, that's... And that's... I think the record was just a reaction. Just have... Like, I don't know if a lot of people get to say that the thing they were most terrified of in the whole world, like, happened to them, and then they, you have to deal with it one way or another. That's right. And that, that was, like, all I wanted to do was be in, like, a cool marriage. I was a real, like, I'm, a, like, a serial monogamous, like, for whatever reason, just, like, I think it's because our lives tend to be pretty unhinged, and to have some kind of anchor is really good for me, because I learned how to make a grilled cheese when I was like 24. You know, it took me a while to get the hang of shit. And so, like, not doing a good job at that, or not being in the right one, or not being in the right space, you know, that's a a real hard thing to take. And that's not like a, that's like a, a very firm, pass-fail kind of thing. And that's uh, that's always with you. So now you're a divorced guy. Or even if you're married again, you're, you're second-time married guy. But it's and very for short. What, it's for, I, not to cut you off, I, just, I feel like that aspect of correlating with failure, it's a short-sighted thing. Not amongst you, but I, amongst people. No, I, it is short-sighted. And the things we're talking about are constructs that were, you know, were like 
you want to you know, get real heady. Yeah, it was, we're gonna get heady. It was like it. based about property and you know uh, yeah. uh, passing down um, you know inheritance. You know, so people can even balk at the notion of marriage, and there's a lot of people who don't need it, or don't want it, or don't need even like a stable relationship or any of that shit. Uh, but I'm from South Dakota, where all of my friends, or the kids I went to high school with at least, are all now were married before they were 25, Jeez. and are all on like their third kid and a nice duplex somewhere. So. There's a certain amount of stuff that gets pretty like deeply embedded on your hard drive. Yeah. It's hard to kick, and you, you can't necessarily kick it. You just gotta kind of roll with it. No, I can understand that. I mostly grew up in like uh, suburban towns, like within um, London, and also within uh, here in New York State. Yeah, and it was very similar, where it's like when you were in, when I was in high school, there were kids that you just knew were gonna get married like yeah. after graduation. Yeah. It's like that's the weirdest thing. You know, going into a little bit more about the music, particularly, I want to know what was. Oh, it? you don't want to talk about the. Of <laughs> well, okay, I'll leave it off on this note because I think it's really interesting. I think what, because you said something really interesting there about like how all these things are things that were decided years ago and some of that. I think what's really good about the way we've been talking in regards to divorce and marriage and everything is that it really highlights how us as people are very much more multifaceted creatures. And in fact, that's something that gets missed a lot sometimes like when you talk to people. Like, like for example, you're here in New York, you played a show yesterday, you're in a band. Obviously, there's like a sense of euphoria and being able to do that. Absolutely. I feel like there's some people who be like, he's going through a divorce and he's playing shows and he's happy? How? But it's like you're not upset all the time. Like people don't work that way. Or wired. No, like, I, like, you know, it's very like, music is like the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And it always will be. Because it's both a, it's a means to cope and probably the reason you're trying to cope with something. In a lot of regards, it's sort of this, this wow. circle that, that can... This vicious cycle. Yeah, and that's other people have found ways to do it much better. But in my particular life experience, and then having an effect on these gentlemen's particular life experience, like <laughs> music is both the thing you care about most and the thing that can be hardest in your life to make work. Uh, and so it's like sometimes the. Being a dead horse with a double-edged sword. <laughs> you know, something I want to talk to you about was uh, David Foster Wallace, particularly with like, all of you, but with you, Billy, because he's someone who clearly means a lot to you, and I know he's referenced on the song Pale King, I think it is. Yeah, he's all over, all over stuff. Well, and if he was alive, I'm sure he would not like our band. <laughs> I think about that every time I work in a reference. Like, oh, this is a guy who can't. Wasn't he, he was into rock music, wasn't he? Like, that was yeah, yeah, I mean, he really liked Anna, Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know. Like, that's so that's amazing, though. Yeah. 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 Um, he also, he had a really, really bad taste in wow. I mean, no, it's not true. <laughs> but uh, uh, subjectively, he denied. He didn't really care about music. Mu music did not move him. I didn't know that about him. Yeah. Uh, he'd, he'd just kind of like whatever was on the radio a lot of the time. Yeah, but I'd love to hear like what his, like, because he's someone I know about quite a bit and most of my friends are definitely big fans of his. But I'd love to hear collectively amongst you guys what it is about him. Well, these guys, you guys discuss it. Get annoyed. I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that uh, for me, like I'm, I'm rereading Tail King right now again, uh, I'm reading another book of interviews, and when I'm going to bed at night, I have this hour and a half interview video that he did on this, with this German woman that was like in 2003, and I just, a lot of times I just turn it on, have his voice going, it's really, I don't know, it's very healthy to have that much David Foster Wallace. I'm kind of yeah, similar like, with, people are going to hate with this, I'm kind of like that with Stephen Hitchens, like I love oh, really? Stephen yeah. He's a fascinating guy, but like definitely someone where it's like, if you listen to him talk too much, your head kind of goes like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like reeling? <laughs> Um, I just, you know, in the literary community, there's, there's like, yeah, it gets a lot of respect, but then also there's a lot of backlash because that book was so huge and nobody who ever bought Infinite Jest has really ever read it. It's just like a conversation starter. And a lot of his, he's a very polarizing kind of guy. But, so much of his stuff means so much to me. Just it's a weird it's a guy who understood his talent, but also did everything he could to try and be the, the best at it, while also really hating a lot about himself and dealing with. It's really hard. Hard to. I just like feel that guy. I feel that we we might have not gotten along at all, and he's obviously way too smart to be hanging out with my dumbass. But like, there's a few select people that you can like just connect to, even though you never met. And I, everything that that guy has written, I, I feel some deep, meaningful, like soulful connection to. Because it's it's always a battle between trying to be smarter, like think your way out of things and feel your way out of things, and neither of those always works. But uh, it's, I try and I would hope the band is kind of a hopefully occasionally we're too smart for our own good and then hopefully we're a little too messy for our own good some of the times but it's back to that tight that tight goddamn band with uh just like a little chaos and his his chaos is just so good because it just gets so unhinged so quickly and goes in a place he didn't really expect and worded in ways that you you've known all along but didn't have the capacity to write it yourself that's so beautiful no it's just i'm just going till you stop me <laughs> i had a feeling i got yeah. that vibe uh it's a really great chat with you we have to cut off but like before i do i did want to ask you billy one more thing because i saw you guys posted on facebook uh you probably might be able you probably can't guess what it is i'll just say it did you get to go to that comic book shop in new jersey no uh, uh every time we're here <laughs> We're like, oh, we'll have time here, 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 and here to do stuff. And then 
we have like two 5 a.m. nights in a row, and then <laughs> everything else is just sort of yeah. dealing with the aftermath. <laughs> and all I want to do, what you guys are doing today? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Walt, Walt, who's the manager at the Secret Stash in Red Bank, did art for our first album's release show, and uh, also has, has a podcast. Oh really? Yeah. That's, um, varying levels of quality and opinion so on time but sounds like a good podcast yeah he's he's a really interesting dude uh and so I just wanted to go see him. He's never happy to see me and <laughs> never remembers and just wants to be talk, done talking as fast as humanly possible. But Jesus. I got to get back to the secret stash as soon as maybe ne- next time, hopefully. Are we all comic book readers here? Is it just Billy? Is the primary? I mean, I like the long Halloween. I like the Batman stuff. Oh, yeah. Year one's Dan cool. always pull a weird reference out of yeah. left field. He's an field. X-Men guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you? I'm an X-Men guy. Marvel guy. Yeah. Generation X. Generation X. Yeah. Okay. Some of those old Whedon books are really fucking great. Oh, yeah. Well, Jared yeah. never voices it. Jared just likes horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> he likes making his own horror movies. My Little Pony yeah. collection. Yeah. <laughs> Bronies? Brownies. Brownies? Brownies. Brownies. Yeah, Sparkle. Sparkle Horse. That's something else entirely. That's a great band. That'd be a great How's that not a band name? Sparkle Horse. Oh, it is. Oh, dude. If we go on Facebook, it'll be 20 Sparkle Horse. Ken, you gotta listen to Sparkle Horse. No, I'm not joking. He's a gentleman. It's hardcore, isn't it? No. Is it more chill? Beautiful. Is it more like kind of Michael Bubel? Oh, it's like sad. Yeah. yeah, not joking. You gotta listen to some Sparkle Horse. I saw them at Lala years ago. Didn't know who they were, didn't know what to expect. But it was deep. It was like, it was sad. Look at your feeling, man. Everyone on this talk, go listen to Sparkle Horse. And while you're at it, also go listen to Kickback. Guys, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey, if you're dating Ken, good luck, because this guy does not give a shit about marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's sad about that? There's definitely at least a good 10 or 12 friends of mine who are there just now. Collectively, like, yes, that's how she could. <laughs> 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 when you plan for 